Well, I want to add my welcome to Jason's, and it is great to see you and to be here with you. Uh, again, it's, uh, it's an honor. It's an honor to come to In Town and to uh, share and to have Christian fellowship with you. I'm glad to do that today and next week as well uh, as we come to an important part of the, uh, of the Christian life uh, this time of year. So it's great to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, as we prepare to think about uh, God's Word, let's pray together. Gracious God, you have revealed yourself to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. He is all we could ever hope to see and know of God. He's our friend, our brother, our Savior, but He is also King. Lord, we are reminded in the book of Revelation where the Apostle John calls Him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And Father, we confess to You that we honor and obey kings and lords of this earth more than we honor and obey Your Son. Would You forgive us? And grant us the courage it takes to believe that we have no other king other than this crucified Lord, Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. In his book, Contending for the Faith, uh, Ralph Wood tells about Bill Moyers, uh, who helped John Kennedy gain the American presidency in 1960 by writing a celebrated speech, you may remember this, uh, wherein Kennedy assured a meeting of Houston pastors that Kennedy's Catholicism would not prejudice his presidency. Moyers was commended for having helped Baptists and other Protestants to overcome their anti-Catholicism. Yet, virtually no one bothered to ask the question, why Moyers should have had Kennedy stress that his views on religion were his own private affair. What kind of church I believe in, Moyers had Kennedy say, should be important only to me. The one thing that mattered, he added, was what kind of America I believe in. Kennedy also insisted that the fulfillment of his presidential office would not be limited or conditioned by any religious oath or obligation or ritual. Now this is an astonishing claim to be made by any Christian who, as in Kennedy's case, has vowed in his baptism to abjure the devil and all of his pomp, to be faithful to Jesus as the one true Lord, etc., etc. Now perhaps Kennedy would not have been elected if Moyers had written a speech urging Baptists and other Protestants to vote for Kennedy only if his religion would indeed shape his policies and decisions as president. Since Christian faith is not chiefly a private, but is a public matter. And since the church has a rich and complex tradition of teaching about the right relationship of church and state. Do you find it an odd thing to say that your faith is strictly a private affair and not available for public consumption. How bizarre. 
How bizarre is it to proclaim to the world that my baptism vows, my prayers to God, my belief about that God and about myself have nothing to do with the me that you see on the campaign trail or the me you see in the office each week or at the polling station or in the high school classroom. What a strange thing to say. This hasn't worked out so well in China. They aren't successful in the religion is a private affair doctrine. So the state just controls it. They know it doesn't make sense to try to make faith a private issue at all. Faith in God is a statement of the ultimate reality of the world. It's an expression of the deeply held core belief and value that a being whom I cannot see, who is bound by the uh, same, uh, who is not bound by the same space-time continuum in which I am bound, created this world, and He created me. And out of His great love for us, and because of our insurmountable predicament, He arrived on this earth. That Creator has a name. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how close He is. He has identified with humans in particular ways. He's the son of King David, whom we've met in the book of Samuel. He's Jesus of Nazareth, and he lived briefly, died violently, and rose unexpectedly. And before he left, he said he was coming again. What a crazy story, right? And that crazy story defines the reality of this world. Humanity and everything in it. It's a public matter, don't you think? How can this reality not shape you one way or the other? If you reject it, then you reveal certain things about yourself. You tell us that you value any number of things apart from what Jesus says. It tells us something about how you view life, how you view death, and even life after death. If you accept this story and you follow this man Jesus, then it tells us something about your life in this world, how you live, how you operate, how you see others, how you behave. What you cannot possibly say is that this faith has nothing to do with you as a public person. That's not an option. There's no neutrality with Jesus. Either he's king and you obey him, or he's not and you obey someone else. Kennedy's speech made another astonishing claim. He claimed that his belief in Jesus Christ is subservient to his belief in and loyalty toward his country, America. Did you pick that up? Being a Christian for him, and I would suggest a lot of Christians, is subservient to being American. Hmm. Now, on the church calendar, today is the final Sunday of the Christian year. Uh, so, Happy New Year. <laughs> um, 
And it's called Christ the King, Christ the King Sunday, or Reign of Christ. And that day reminds us that there's a question on the table that every one of us has to answer. Who is the real king? Who's the real president? Who's really in charge? And so that question makes this Sunday inescapably political. Even Jesus' titles are political titles. From the beginning, Christians have said, Jesus is Lord, or Jesus is King, and this disqualifies anyone else from being in charge. And the early Christians knew what they were saying when they proclaimed that. They knew what was at stake. See, Caesar took that title for himself. He was known as Lord. You can see ancient coins, even to this day, with inscriptions of titles like Son of God, Savior, King of Kings, given to Caesar, especially to Caesar Augustus. So for the early Christians to say Jesus is Lord meant that Caesar was not. For them to proclaim Jesus as the Son of God meant that Caesar couldn't make that claim. It's like Christians in Nazi Germany saying Jesus is the Fuhrer. Or Americans saying Jesus is the commander-in-chief, or the president. There are political consequences on this Decision Sunday. Who's the real king? And so what's our answer to that? I mean, really. You know, we've said it in our head as I've been talking to you. We've already said, oh yes, Jesus is king. But really, really, where does our loyalty lie? Where are we being discipled? Are we following this Jesus or are we being discipled by Fox News or CNN or somebody else? I mean, of all people, David knew this political reality very well. Israel had demanded a king so they could be like the other nations. God was grieved at this because they were rejecting him as king. But, you know, it's hard to be a major player in the world stage without a powerful king. Yahweh was interested in tabernacles and Passover celebrations. And the people wanted horses and chariots and land and servants and military power and all of that stuff. I mean, those silly Israelites. Do you imagine people so captivated with the glittering images of chariots, money, military? Don't you feel sorry for them? Why would they turn their back on Yahweh? What king could divide the Red Sea like he had? What king could bring water from a rock like God had? Couldn't they see that? Couldn't they remember the incredible salvation that God had brought to them? Why would they become so distracted by palaces and chariots and monuments to the state? I feel like I've just sucked the life out of the room here. I'm sorry. It'll get better. Hang on. 
I mean, declaring, as the Israelites did, that they wanted a king was a declaration against the Lord. And the prophets warned Israel that when you get a king, you get a tiger by the tail. And that's precisely what they got. Most kings were so terrible, we don't even remember their names. Some of you have heard of Jehoiakim or Manasseh, but most of us just know about David and Solomon and Saul as well. The kings did not do for Israel what the people hoped they would. In fact, they mostly did the opposite. Because of the king's great wickedness, God punished the nation and eventually sacked the temple, his own temple. That's how committed he is to his holiness. And he led them into exile. And David, for all of his flaws and major screw-ups, left a different legacy based on this one simple fact. David was acutely aware that he was not the real king. Okay, I wrestled as to whether I should bring this up, but I'm going to say a bad word in church. Okay, are you ready? Sorry if it offends you. Here it is. Authority. I know, it's a bad word these days, isn't it? Did you squirm? We do not want to be told what to do in any way, shape, or form. I have just returned from the southeastern United States. They especially do not want to be told what to do by anyone. You say, well, that, that's not me. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment. We haven't been up here in this room for too many months now, just since the summer. I've been here a handful of times. You know one thing I've noticed? You're all sitting in the same places. <laughs> You have your seat. And you love that seat, don't you? Yes, you do. So let's imagine that you walk into this room on a Sunday morning and you make your way to your seat only to find that it is blocked off. It's roped off. And an usher is standing there. We'll call this usher Pete. (laughs) And usher is standing there and saying, I'm sorry, not today. We're going to ask you to move forward to the front row and fill that up first. And if you're here, we're going to ask you to move to the back row. What would you say to Pete? You'd probably say, well, you know, that's, that's probably a good idea. I mean, things need to be shaken up every now and then anyway, don't they? I doubt. Why? It's my seat. You know I sit here, Pete. We don't want to be told what to do, even when it comes to my seat. Young people, your generation in particular has adopted the notion that authorities are ignorant and simply act in order to maintain power. That is just a baseline assumption if you are under the age of 20. No doubt in some cases that's true, and we're saddened to see In recent days, churches who have crumbled on the heels of abuse of authority. But in spite of that, God has established authority in His church as a means of advancing His kingdom. Now, here's the thing. When we get in the habit of discounting our earthly authority, 
our tendency will be also to ignore King Jesus. And his de demands are far weightier than any that church elders could ever give us. His demands, he demands that we give up everything for the poor. He demands that we love and pray for our enemy, the very ones who seek to destroy us. He demands that we hate father and mother and turn our back on everything else for the sake of Jesus. And so in order to meet those high demands, we need to cultivate the discipline of obedience with those authorities in our life. I mean, I know I'm swimming upstream. I know I am. But that's what's in play when we say Jesus is king. David, as the king, publicly and emotionally celebrated the fact that God was the real king and David was not. And this is crucial. This is crucial for our lives as obedient and faithful followers of Jesus. Who will shape us? Who will have our allegiance? God's the real king. Now what's your view on that? Was David delusional? It'd be very easy to think so. David's son, Jesus of Nazareth, that ancient male Jew, one day was arriving into his city, Jerusalem, and he was greeted with shouts of royalty and signs of a coronation. Finally, David's dynasty would regain the throne. And after a brief visit to the temple, a bit more teaching, and a farewell meal with his closest friends, he's led to the palace, but not, as it turns out, for a coronation, at least not the type we expected. Rather, he's put on trial by the clever politician Pontius Pilate, the superpower of the day. Are you a king? Pilate sneers, this guy? Really? And after the farcical trial, Jesus is led away and finally given a robe and a crown. But the robe is hardly regal and the crown is of thorns. They strip him, they place him on a cross, and erect a sign over his head saying, King of the Jews, as if to increase the irony, we're told that he's crucified between two bandits. The king dies the death of a slave in the company of sinners. Now, we are all faced with a decision here on Decision Sunday. Is that our king? Will that king, who comes from God, who lives the life that we should have lived, who dies our death and promises to set things right one day, will that all-defining reality shape and define our lives as well? And that is the question. And we should ask ourselves, what right now are we really allowing to shape our lives? Who are the kings in our lives that would pull us away from this king? 
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.